I broke an entire another set of glasses, I think. So, don't, I mean, don't feel too bad. I mean, I did pay like you know, two dollars and fifty cents a piece for them. So, hopefully, these, these work better. I got them from Walmart, so I'm sure they're fine. And it wasn't in the the uh, place where they sell glasses. You know, that that part. It was the one where you get them on the rack and you hopefully hit fit your head and you know what I'm saying. I just do realize, though, that I didn't clean them, so it'll be all right. All right. For our message time today, we're going to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 10. Now, Luke, chapter 10 is our beginning. kind of a warm-up passage. It's like the appetizer, if you would. Like chips and salsa. Had some good chips and salsa recently. Try to give you time to find Luke chapter 10. I probably should find it myself. Luke chapter 10, verses uh, 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, some of you are familiar with this passage. We're, we're only going to be there just a, a couple minutes, though. In Luke 10, 38, we have these two people called Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha. So let's see what happens. Jesus comes to visit. Can you imagine Jesus coming to visit your house? I know sometimes, you know, you have to prepare for people to come to visit, and then then there's those times when you get ready for that event and the house gets all cleaned up and you're ready to go and you're hoping everybody that wants to visit visits then when it's all ready versus coming later, you know, the end of the week when it's been one of those weeks. But here we are, verse 38, Luke 10. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, Jesus, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Mary and Martha... So it was kind of out of balance. It said she was busy with much serving. There was serving to be done, but she was busy with much serving. It was out of balance, which is part, part of our sermon title. Out of balance. There were things that needed to be done, but she was busy with much serving. She lost the opportunity for fellowship. It was so out of balance. The serving took the place of the reason she was serving. Jesus come. Jesus here. And she, missed the, she was missing the opportunity for fellowship. It was kind of out of balance. So this just, that's something for us to think about as we turn now to our main scripture for today is Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation is the very last book of the Bible. Very last book. Revelation chapter 2.
and we're going to read for you verses 1 through 7. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. This is to and involves the church as of Ephesus. Ephesus. And you might remember from Ephesus, Paul would have written letters to the Ephesians. So the book of Ephesians in the Bible was an epistle, a letter from Paul to those in Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. So Ephesus is the city. So this is the revelation, in the revelation. This is from John. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him. Whoever comes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I've preached this passage before, and you can highlight different parts of it. But we're going to focus on a particular section of it. The second part of our message title is, not what, who. Out of balance, not what, who. We look here in verse 2, you'll see that it talks about, he knows your works, your labor, your patience, your works, the, your deeds, the labor, the pain that you've gone through. I mean, you've probably done something, some kind of work, whether it's in the yard or in your house or at work, and there's a labor to it, there's a pain to it, there's an effort involved, but then there's the outcome of your effort. So you know it's your deeds, you know it's the struggles that you've had, and that you have patience, you've persevered, you've kept going. He knows those things. Verse 3, you've persevered. And you have the patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. You've kept at it. He knows those things. But, verse 4, you have something, I have something against you, that you have left your first love. You have left your first love. Doesn't mean the first girl that you, or boy that you ever dated. He's not talking about your first love that way. It's the predominant, the one in first place. You've left that. You've lost that. The, the reason that you started that work, the reason that you wanted to accomplish those deeds, the, the drive to make it happen, you lost that. You got busy in the activities. 
you got busy in the, the reasons. You've moved from being what's being the thing that's in first place, the thing that's predominant, the thing that motivates. You've lost your first love. No longer first, that agapeo, that agape love, that it's a positional love. Who's in first? It's, you've lost it. You're doing all the right things. You're persevering. You're dedicated. You're standing up for right. You're calling out those that are liars. You're doing all the measures, but you've lost your first love. A reason for doing it. Could it be that your first love now is in the doing, not in the reason for the doing? Sometimes people go to work and they say it's to support my family, but then they go to the point that the work becomes first and the family becomes second. And it gets out of balance. It can happen in the church too that the work of the church becomes predominant and it's about the activity instead of about the relationship. So your heart belongs to the cause instead of to the creator. Your heart belongs to the cause instead of to your savior. That's choose the predominant. So if your cause is offended, who controls your response? If your cause is defeated, who controls your response? If your cause is victorious and succeed, who controls your response? What do you do now? Spike the ball? Who's in first place? If he, God, is still in first place, you're already in position on how you respond to an attack, how you respond to a defeat, how you respond to a success. But if he's not in first place, we risk our response being our response and not a godly response. But if you are seeking God first, is he happy with your response to the people around you? Is he happy to your attitude within your heart. You ever, you ever said that, uh, or been asked, are you a religious person? Are you a religious person? Or somebody say, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a religious person. It's interesting. Is uh, religion first in your life? What religion? You can be a religious drunk. 
somebody asks you when you're religious, or they ask you about, the, well, I'm a religious person, do we kind of shy away and say, well, I don't want to say that I'm a Christian. I'll just say I'm religious, and then that'll soften it a little bit. I go to church. But maybe it's true. Maybe you're just religious. You just religiously go to church, and you go through the motions, and see, I go to church. You're checking out the box. I go to church, and uh, I do these things. I have this great cause. You know, we recently just talked about Roe v. Wade, and your great cause might have been having to do with abortion and the evils of abortion. But what was your motivation? But don't get stuck on just the abortion side. It's, let's just talk about, okay, why do you come to church? And that's, why do you do the work you do in the church? Because it's very easy to be so busy about the work of the church. Trust me. And some of you know, it takes a lot of work when you move locations and try to set things up and figure that out. And it's like, when are we going to get back to worshiping God? Because it seems like all we're doing is dealing with problems. So this is just a caution for that. But can't we do this in multiple places? It's very easy to do. You know, and some, some want to get rid of the traditions of the church. Because you can go the other direction too, right? Well, we don't want to we don't want to do any of the traditions. And so the traditions become your focus. We don't want to do the traditions. We don't want to do those things. And so you're animated by the rebellion against the traditions. That doesn't mean that all traditions are good. I'm not saying that. But your animation, your activity, your enthusiasm comes from the rebellion against the traditions. And then we'll use phrases like, if it will win one soul. Let's take all the pews out and replace them with chairs. Let's go through all that expense because if it will win one soul. The pew can save them, the chair won't save them. But if it will save one soul. Do we want to think about the souls? Yes, we do. But we don't want to be in a place where the rebellion becomes our God against the traditions, and if we just change how we change those traditions, that's the magic, that's the secret. Now, if God tells us to change something, certainly we want to change something, but God's in that mix. See, some of these traditions remind us, John Wesley might call them uh, means of grace. They remind us about God. We take communion, that's a tradition. We're supposed to remember. It's things to remember. In the Old Testament, they put up pillars of stones as a memorial to remember God helped us. We have a service once a year, right? Where we celebrate, we appreciate people, but it's kind of our anniversary, but it helps us to remember. Well, we don't want to sing hymns, that's traditional. We need to but the hymns can help us to remember. Do we just sing hymns because? No. We sing the ones that help us to remember. But there's also other music. And so sometimes we get in these wars between it's got to be one or it's got to be the other. 
and we ignore the reasons. We get things out of balance, and it's not the what, it's the, it's the who. You know, any time when rebellion is our driving force, that's probably a problem. I've heard of churches where the church bulletin, the traditional name was bulletin, so they couldn't call it bulletin, they had to call it something else. You can't call a sermon a sermon, so you have to call it a teaching or something else. Should we adjust the words a little bit to the, yeah, but we have to be careful that we don't get things so out of balance. You know, I know a group, I've heard of a group that was, is very religious and they had different kinds of activities they went through and the religion was the the big part of it, I think you've heard of them, it would be like the Pharisees, you remember them? Jesus got along great with them, didn't he? No. It's a broken and a contrite heart is what he wants, not the sacrifices. He wants the sacrifice, but only after your heart's in the right places. It's not the what, it's the who. But it's an easy trap to fall into. Our desire to do what we want we believe god wants us to do we're so on fire about doing what god wants us to do that that sometimes we forget we can kind of lose focus i know the danger has been you know for me we're trying to grow the church and do things i've we've tried a lots of different things but boy it's really easy to say hey what can i do and there's sometimes you have to step back and say okay well god what do you want me to do And there's other times when God says, listen, I don't want you to do anything. I'll take care of it. Who's in first place? Or Can you think of some of these examples for the reason that you were doing it was overrun by the thing that you're trying to do? You know, where the, uh, the wedding proposal or the surprise kind of gets things out of whack. You know, you try to put the, the diamond in the, in, in the muffin or whatever it is, and she swallows it or chips a tooth or who knows what, right? Or things backfire. Or I remember in high school, I had, I had a girlfriend. She went to another church, and I thought, hey, I'm going to surprise her. I'm going to go to her church for Sunday school. When I got there, I found out she wasn't there that day. The whole reason for going was that she was going to be there. And I was going to surprise her, but she wasn't there that day. Sometimes things get out of whack. I mean, I, you know, you have a surprise party, and so everybody can come and celebrate whatever you're celebrating or doing whatever you're going to do. But not everybody can be there because you couldn't tell everybody because it would ruin the surprise. See this? We can get things kind of out of whack. We can be so busy. We're so excited for people to come to our house for whatever kind of event. Or we're excited for fellowship. Jesus shows up. 
something we have to watch, right? Jesus wants to come to service. But we're too busy doing service that we don't recognize Jesus. And that's one thing. That's one thing. But wouldn't it be a shame if somebody says, wait a minute, you can't have people come to the altar during service. It would disrupt the service. Kind of like what Mary was telling, Martha was telling Mary. What a tragedy. I remember going to a church one time. Uh, I was visiting a church um, of someone uh, in a different denomination, and, and I walked in, and we were visitors. We weren't, we weren't there. Now, what's an usher do? What's an usher do? An usher welcomes people to the church. Now, who's the usher for? I guess there are four people that are of the church to count how many people are there and do those functions. But I thought the usher, I mean, most people that come in shouldn't, you know, unless they're the waiter, but they usher them into places. But I think a big part of the usher is like the slash greeter is to help people that don't know their way around and welcome the visitor in and help them find a seat. I came in and I sat down in a seat in this church I was visiting in. And where do visitors, where, where do visitors like to sit? Well, they kind of like to sit in the back. They don't want to be in front of everybody. Now, some might, I don't think, but mostly they want to kind of come in the back and you want to give them room. So I come into the church and I sit down and I went to sit down and I'm sitting in the seat lady comes by, she says, excuse me, my husband's an usher, and see there, that sign says there, this is our seat, so she made me move. She was, got it flipped. The reason for your existence is not to do the action, the reason for your existence is to bring cheap people to Jesus, to be encouraged It'd be, it could be nice if I could tell you that she politely did it, but she didn't. It was unfortunate. I will tell you as your pastor that won't happen here. And if it did happen, it happened one time. That's not what we're about. But I don't know anybody would make that happen anyhow. Out of balance, it's not the who, it's the what. Why are we here? We're here so that people can find Jesus, so we can help them on their way and help them continue on their path to in eternity with Jesus. And we're here to help other people, right? But we're here to help people learn how to help other people. It's called edifying the church, it's building up the church. It's somebody becomes a Christian and we're gonna to try to mature them along. And in the meantime, we're going to teach them how to be disciples that what? teach disciples, to find other disciples. That's what we're here for. We're not here to play church. We're to do those things, and we can get it out of whack. We can get it out of whack, and 
and the social aspects of the church can get out of whack. They're valuable. We need encouragement. We need uplifting. We need to get together. We need to build that fellowship. We need to encourage each other. But it's under the umbrella of who's always first. It is, it is God. So it's not the who. Excuse me. It's not the what. It's the who. It's out of balance. Not the what, but the who. Let's be standing together. Father God, I pray that you would help us today not to get out of balance. Lord, we want to serve you, not serve the serving of you. We want you to be first place, not the religious activity. We want our causes to be causes under your auspices. That our responses and our activities are under you. We want to grow the church because that's what you told us, but help us to do it. Mindful of you. Help us not to just be religious. But have a focus on you. If you're in first place, everything else falls in place. But if you're not in first place, well, it's likely it's going to fall apart. And we pray to the Lord we'd help our focus to be on you, help us to remember you, keep things in the right balance, the Lord, and just be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you ever need to come.